Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Back to Basics program with Rabbi Liel Shalom. On today's episode, we are going to dive into Jewish history. Where did it all start? How did it happen? And much more. I'm Israel Yudkowski. You are listening to the Foundations Podcast. We're going to start kind of, you can call it an introduction that's going to lead us into the time of the Megillah Sester, that period of time that we're reaching now, we're getting close to Purim, so that's exciting. But And we're going to you know, take the advantage of talking about Jewish history to memorize and like kind of put in perspective um, certain very significant uh, dates in, in Jewish calendar. Okay, so um, we're going to start, we're not going to start from creation, you know, that we had an episode about the purpose of creation, we we touched a little bit over there, starting from creation, but we're going to skip now in order to start with Jewish history. So, um, who was the first Jew? Or, to be correct, you know, if you know your history, you know, there was no really first Jew, because Jew comes from Came from Judah, so right, Judah was the son of Yaakov Avinu. So obviously, Avram Avinu was not a Jew, to, as for the name Jew, right? He was called the Hebrew, right? Ivri. I was saying, like, kind of the the Jewish uh, nation, you know, yeah. Am Israel. Was it like was it first Avram Avinu, or he was just doing the mitzvos, but he only became a nation at Har Sinai, or no, even Avram Avinu, even though, yes, there wasn't like an official Am Yisrael, but because he like started to be Mekayim the Mitzvahs and stuff, so he was already called the first, like you said, a Judah, Jew, uh, Hebrew. Just, yeah, Hebrew. You got what I'm saying, the first yeah, Hebrew, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first... Uh, yeah, I was just yeah. putting, putting in, no, I'm not saying yeah. any, there's no argument. History, we need to know history. the history. You we gotta know. Come from. Yeah, part of the history. So um, the second side of your question, the second side of your question is, yes, we became a nation only in Mount Sinai, and we got the status of a nation. But before that, of course, um, we are around the Torah. We are not designed, we are not a nation because of a country. The biggest raya is, the biggest proof is we we didn't get we didn't become a nation in our country yet. We were forty years before we got to our country. We became already a nation. You see, the Chinese people, right? They are Chinese because they come from China, and the Russians from Russia, and so on, right? Um, the Jewish people they're not because of Israel. They're not the Israelites per se, meaning they're not. That's not what makes them as a nation because of the land of Israel. Our place is the land of Israel, right? That's our home, but it's not who we are. Exactly. Who we are as a nation because of what? What made us a nation? What was that one thing that got us together as a nation? There's one thing. The Torah. The Torah. And that's the famous saying. Like we mentioned in the previous episodes is that God didn't create the world with the Jews, with the Torah, because he wanted someone to first come and you know, ask for it and get want it. it to, exactly. You know, if he would just give it to us, then 
then you know someone would be able to come at the claim oh I, i don't want it you forced it on me but i'm not interested in it right but if someone came and asked for it then okay i'll it's give a it different to story yeah of course Let's go back to what episode was it one of the first ones so listen to all of the previous yeah. episodes <laughs> and then you'll find where it is yeah so it's in one of the previous episodes <laughs> right uh we talk uh, much uh, longer and much deeper on on it but that's uh you know more or less uh what it is so you see that it is based on the torah right uh the jewish nation right like the famous saying um kutsabrihu israel veraisa khadhu hashem and the torah uh, hashem and the jewish nation and the torah are one thing now it's what does it mean there's depth to it but for our sake of what we just said now that the Jewish nation started at Har Sinai, that means what makes us, that the Judaism, uh, the Jewish people depend on Hashem, right? And depend on the Torah. That's, without these three things, um, you know, none of them are really, you know, reaching its full potential. Besides Hashem himself, obviously he didn't need us. Okay, that go to the episode of Defining God. That, but, for, in order to, make the purpose of the creation so there is Hashem the Jewish nation and the Torah but specifically for our point is that we are depending on the Torah we, what only the only thing that makes us a nation is the Torah so now back to get us on track to what we started with Avram Avinu he kept the whole Torah like the Gemara says he even got to the Durabonans he got to we also mentioned this before he was doing Erev Tchumen right he was doing like the things of Durabonan also, how did he get to it? That's a different question. But that's what made him, quote-unquote, part of the Jewish nation. Although he kind of started the Jewish nation, he, his children ended up standing on Har Sinai. Hello, who's standing on Har Sinai? Avram Avinu's children. So he is, yeah, you can say he's the first Jew as connection of the nation. But don't forget, all the people before him, Noah, and the shame, and uh, all the way down b- back to Adam Arishon, all those great, humongous tzaddikim, they also kept the Torah, you know, like we spoke uh, previously on an individual level, right? But to become a nation, none of them were, were, were I want to say worthy, but none of them, it didn't happen by them that their ch- children became the Jewish nation. It was one very specific man that his children became the Jewish people and that was Avram Avinu and like we spoke before Avram Avinu was the first one that came after at the end of 2000 years of tohu of emptiness of void in the world because no one came and picked it up Avram Avinu came and picked up after it was lost the, the Hashem Echad one God Avram Avinu came and he picked, he he brought it he brought it back and that changed the course of history of course you know from the Jewish perspective uh, and not, only, and, and not back, only the uh, Jewish. Right. If you go back all the way to Avram Avinu, um, Yaakov Avinu, right, is, you know, just the Jewish nation came from him. But Avram Avinu is just the Christians and the Muslims, Esav and Ishmael. Right. So, like, literally the, you know. Yes. All the Semites, you can call them. Right. We are the, Avram Avinu yeah. was, he brought out the, the, the Semites, which they go to here and to there. But, of course, uh, what we all were waiting for, or meaning what Hashem was waiting for, is the Jewish nation. That's what he was waiting for, for someone like Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu did it. Okay. So that's where I want to start from. So this was a very good introduction to the introduction. Um, Let's start from 1948.
Okay, remember this number. Now, uh, for some of you that know some, you know, recent history, the number 1948 reminds you of? Israel. The state of Israel, right? It started, but that's to the Christian count, Leminyanam, okay? So that's not what we're talking about. It's an interesting coincidence. I never saw someone that could, like, you know, link them together, although they sound very interesting. But in the in the Hebrew count, counting from Be creation, Rasulam, 1948, Avram Avinu was born. Okay, that's a very significant time in our history. Okay, in Jewish history, you should remember this. 1948, it's not hard. You got a, you got a reminder from the you later days, right, from the state of Israel. But Avram Avinu was born 1948. Remember that number. Now, 1948 is 52 years before the year 2000, right? Oh, I know my math, right? So you see, Avram Avinu came at the end of the year 2000. And when he became a man already and he started spreading the word, as they say, of one God, he was an adult already. We were entering 2000 years of the world. That was a very important turn in history. When he is 99, right, almost 100 years old is the famous story, right? The whole story with Yitzchak and um and but but the very um incredible um re- revelation he had with Hashem of Bris ben Abisarim, the, the the covenant that he had with Hashem and that's where Hashem promised him that he's worthy that the Jewish nation will come from I'll make your children um right all the promises that he's going his children will be the chosen nation Okay, so over there, Hashem tells them also a very interesting um, thing. Hashem tells them that, unfortunately, it's just, there's a whole reason why it happened. Why did Hashem say that to him? It was a certain, on his level, lack of emuna, And um, he said that the Jewish people will go down to Egypt for 400 years. Okay, remember that. How many years the Jews end up being in Egypt? 210. 210. So what happened to the 400? So there's different Pirushim that explain it. Obviously, Hashem cut it down in His mercy. Um, So, you know, because 210 was quite terrifying to be in Egypt. We all know the stories. And um, so let's skip a little bit in history and let's go to Maimon Harsinai, another very important number to remember, Okay. It's 2,448. Remember this for your life. 2448 is the giving of the Torah. That's when the incredible event of Har Sinai, let's plug in the episode of Har Sinai, go in there and find out exactly what happened there. And how do we know it's still alive in 2021? So remember the number 2448. 2448. Right. Um, how old, uh, if you go back from 2448, 400 years, let's go, 500 years, it's 1948, right? Right. That's where Avram Avinu was born. So 500 years exactly after Avram Avinu was born. <clears throat> Boom, the Jewish nation get, the, received the, the Torah. Nation. What happens, if you go back 400 years, backwards from Maimon Harsinai, what happened then? Bris Something ben significant, Bris ben Abbasarim. Where Hashem promises that the Jewish nation will be in Egypt for 400 years. years. So the 400 years still kind of happened. When Hashem still 
When Hashem says something, it happens. Just Hashem can change it with His mercy. And Avrahamim only sent us for 210. But that 400 number still stood because it's exactly 400 years after Hashem tells him, listen, they're going to go down to Egypt till they receive the Torah in Har Sinai. You got there 400 years. So, right, like they weren't, they weren't actually in Egypt for the full 200, 400 years. They're just in Egypt for 210 and, you know, the whole punishment and, you know, Avdus and what, the whole story. But But still you see that, like, after 400 years, that's you'll when get they, to Har Sinai. Exactly, you'll become a nation. So that's also an incredible point. So, so far we remember again 1948 and two. Exactly. So it's easy numbers over here because it's almost round. You know, um, some mumchim, there's different, uh, I won't get into it. You know, if uh, half a year to there, half a year to there, a year there, a year there, a lot of the dates we're going to say. Some are exact, or some are more round, but that's the Masara that we have, and we give it the exact number. So, and we received the Torah 2448. Let's how many years we were, the Jewish nation were in the desert? For 40 years? 40 years. Right? So, 40 years since we leave Egypt, which is 2448, right? We left Egypt, received the Torah. 50, de- 50 days later after we left, after Pesach, that's Shavuos, right? And uh, 40 years later, we enter Eretz Yisrael, right? With Yeshua. Yeshua was leading the Jewish nation. And here we are. Um, the Beis HaMikdash, right? The first temple wasn't built till 480 years later. Meanwhile, we had what's called a Mishkan, right? We had the Mishkan, we had Mishkan Shiloh, Nov, and... Um, used to move around. What? The Mishkan. Exactly. The Mishkan was placed in different givon, were placed in different places, in different periods of history, right? So more or less for the whole entire 480 years, till Shlomo HaMelech builds the first temple, right? David HaMelech, he started it, the King David. He started the... the he prepared uh, the, the, the building of the temple. But he didn't have the schus, unfortunately, because he was a warrior. And Hashem said, it's a person with that was a warrior that was, that was a that, that that was that had to kill, right? Shouldn't build the pesamidas that represents only peace in the world. Like so, you see, even though even though he was allowed to, like you know, all the words they didn't had randomly to, go right? killing people. Hashem told him to go kill, yeah, uh, to yeah, get rid of the like Palestinians. He, he had to. But still, right. you see, at the end of the day, it it's 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 something that hurts, like the nefesh. I mean, hurt the nefesh in a sense that, um, for what it represents, like yeah, he obviously did a mitzvah. Avraham did right. a mitzvah protecting. He didn't do anything bad. Yeah, when a person is um um and Shalom a terrorist is attacking someone, and you go and kill that terrorist, you first of all did a mitzvah. <laughs> you saved you saved someone's life. Okay, mm-hmm. you did a mitzvah. Doesn't have effects on you that that killing yes but uh, but because it's justified because Hashem said you did it for the right reason so obviously you're taking there's two parts you know there's taking an act in evil and driving it to good and there's some things in the world Reverend Manus Friedman you heard of Reverend Friedman I once heard him talking about this concept that you have two kinds of uh, things you have sometimes you take something bad and you direct it to the good and sometimes there's something that's just good right all right, 
saying hello to your friend and greeting him, doing chesed, is just good. Or sometimes you're going to take um, something that's actually bad and you channel it to the good and it's still good. But there is an effect there. There is an effect. Of course, mm-hmm. there's an effect. You cannot deny that there is an effect. And in fact, that Hashem, Hashem gives a special bracha for the people who go to war that they won't be scarred. Milchem um, mitzvah. Specifically, I don't want this to be, I'm not saying halach over here to apply it to today exactly because you need to know. But whenever you had Milchem mitzvah, a war of mitzvah that Hashem commanded that you should go fight a certain enemy. So um, Hashem gives a special bracha that they shouldn't become mean, mean people. Why do they need a special bracha? Yes, because you're in danger. You're actually doing something uh, that could be evil, just you're using it for the good, just like killing a terrorist. Okay, but after all, you are killing. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting topic on its own that you snuck in somehow. You saw. Ah, got it. <laughs> you got it in. That was not what we intended to speak to talk about, but let's go back to Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech, right? So we just said David HaMelech prepared it. He brought a lot of the material and everything about the preparation. Shlomo HaMelech is actually the one that built it, and he had the incredible wisdom, and he made a magnificent, beautiful building. Um, you didn't have the beauty of the like the beauty of Jerusalem at the time. It was, it was, it had, it was the the most beautiful city in the world. How can I say that? There were other beautiful places, but Jerusalem was also beautiful. Physically, and also, and it had the beauty spiritually that also glowed and shined. It reminds me, I used to teach in the old city uh, for many years, and occasionally I would see like tourists walking through the streets of Jerusalem and saying like, wow, Jerusalem, it's so beautiful. And, and you would hear these lines, oh, I love, Jerusalem is so beautiful. And I, it made me think like, I mean, if you look at it, these are um, Arab-built houses from 400, 500 years ago. The wall is like the wall, the, the Muslim wall over there, the around, not the original wall, is 700 years, full of plants coming out and covering in narrow streets. Narrow streets, um, broken steps, and stones that are old and dirty. Uh, what's beautiful? I never got it. Like I remember- go to Caesarea, these. Uh- Ten million dollar villas. Oh, that's fancy. Now we're talking. That's, that's beautiful. Fancy. You yeah. go up to the Golan. Beautiful nature and birds and animals and trees and that's beautiful. Yeah. But a broken seven hundred year old house. That's beautiful. Like what are you even talking about? Yeah. So, always made me think like these people. What are they fooled? Come on. What are they? And then I realized um, they don't. They're not looking at the physical beauty. Yerushalayim has two aspects to it. Has the physical beauty. And the uh, spiritual beauty. You don't have a beauty like the beauty of Jerusalem. It's because of the combination of physical, physical and spiritual. Unfortunately, today we don't have the physical. It's not physically. It's not a beautiful place. I once heard Rabbi Green, Rabbi Shimon Green, Shlita, you should live in me well. He said that probably when Mashiach comes, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to wipe down the whole entire old city and make it all brand new like why do we think that it needs to look like that jerusalem at the time of shlomo Melech was beautiful he built beautiful houses like you said in caesarea or in long beach or in the hamptons it's supposed to be beautiful you're supposed to have a beautiful shul you're supposed to have a beautiful place 
physically also and uh, to to give honor to the spiritual thing you're doing in it i guess you could also connect it to last week's episode emotions versus logic that you know logic it is not a beautiful place just look at it like you know look at the facts look at the old city <laughs> and then look at kesaria or probably almost any other place in israel it's just not beautiful it's old and broken right but if you put the emotions in it you know what the place represents the history of the place and you know the holiness of it then you know it's mm-hmm. wow It's as beautiful as it gets. I could argue with you. I could say that the fact is that the place is holy and that's what they see. That's right, the fact. That, but no, but that gets <laughs> I'm just, into I'm the... I'm just playing with you. That, I'm just playing. I'm no, just... no it's, it's true of you, but it gets into the fact, like we said, also we were talking about it last week's episode, is that emotions are, are something logical. Right, okay. right. So I'm saying the people that say beautiful... Yerushalayim. So if they would... Dr- you're right. So that's why I was just playing with you because you're right. Technically, it's emotional. What they're saying, they feel it, right? It's pure emotion, and there's no logic there because no, you're hundred yeah. percent right. I'm just saying, I was playing with you, and I was saying, and it could be a true for, for what the what we said at the end of the episode is that once you lead those emotions with the logic and understanding, oh, we're talking, you're seeing the beauty of the spiritual beauty, so uh, yeah. the, the emotions will be channeled right yeah. in the right yeah. direction. So. That's yeah, I uh, just gave you chizuk. <laughs> just gave you chizuk. Amazing. Good job on that. You listened very well to the last episode. Back to history. So after 480 years of having the Mishkan, we had the Schus, the Merit. That's where we really wanted to get to, uh, to get to a permanent building, you know, because during those 480 years, they were the, bam, the, the time of the Bamot. We were called, everyone had could have made his own altar, His Mizbeach, right? And um, and sacrifice animals. Now it was only, um, you were allowed to do it in the Beis HaMikdash because now it had a permanent uh, place. Not going to that. That's a whole story. So how much did the first temple stand for? Remember this number, 410. Okay, so the first temple stood for 410 years. And then, unfortunately, Uh, was destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, so remember that. We're going we're gonna to dive all into details. But now we're just doing the numbers, and then we're going to go into the stories. So it's very important to remember this timeline. 410, and the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bavel, he comes and he destroys the base of Megdash, the first temple. Then we go out for exile in Bavel, right? 11 years before the destruction of the temple, um, Um, Nebuchadnezzar, he does the Golos of Acharash Vamasger, it was called. He took all the great people, all the all the great rabbis of the Jewish people because they were known. Everyone knew that they were, uh, they had incredible wisdom and they wanted to use it. So they took them. It, you know, it's, it's kind of the, it's hard for us to relate to this idea, what I'm about to say uh, in nowadays, but as much as Nebuchadnezzar was fighting the Jewish people, right, And he destroyed the kingdom of Israel, which we're going to get into it in a second. Um, how did that happen? But they still had incredible respect for our sages, for the Chachamim. It's hard for us to grasp it, but it was known in the world. Everyone knew that the Chachamim were, 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 had the great wisdom. Everyone knew that. You know, at the time of Shlomo Melech, people came. Shlomo Melech wasn't just a king. He was also 
Chacham, people from all around the world came to see and witness his, his wisdom. Um, and uh, and all the Chachamim and the Nevim were known for their incredible wisdom. So although Nebuchadnezzar was fighting against the kingdom of Israel because the kingdom of Israel had the problems we're going to talk about when it split between the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. So that had issues and that where the problems were. But they still believed that the rabbis have the incredible Chachmah and they wanted to use it. So 11 years before the, the destruction, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple, he takes all the rabbis out to Bavel. He moves them to Bavel. Safe. He didn't harm them. In fact, he made some of them his advisors. And he let them flourish in Bavel. He was actually using their wisdom. The, the nations always tended to use the rabbis, use the wisdom of the Torah, use the wisdom, like you can see a very clear example by the Rambam uh, or the Ramban, right? These people were very, very much appreciated by the by the kings of Spain. Although, you know, um, in general, the population was anti-Semite, where we're, we're killing us. But um, um, the, the, they always had appreciation to our wisdom. Kind of an interesting thing. So for the past couple of weeks, you heard me talking about the fascinating book On the Shoulders of Giants by Rabbi Shmuel Bloom. Now, you may ask, why am I pushing this book so much? Why am I talking about it all the time? Well, on this podcast, we are all about the basics of Judaism, building strong Jewish foundations. Now, the best way to become a good Jew is to learn from those who did it the best, the G'dayle Yisrael. From the Chafetz Chaim, Reb Aaron Cutler, Reb Aaron Leib Steinman, the Ger Rebbes, and many, many more. Rabbi Shmuel Bloom, who was involved in Agudis Yisrael for over five decades. He brings us stories of Gedoli Yisrael understanding what made them such great and giant people. What messages could we take and learn from them to help us become better Jews and closer to God? So if you're interested in strengthening your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you should definitely get a copy of the fascinating book On the Shoulders of Giants by Rabbi Shmuel Bloom. Get your copy today at artsgirl.com, Amazon, or at your local Jewish bookstore. On the Shoulders of Giants by Rabbi Shmuel Bloom. Get your copy today. I would also like to let you know that every few weeks throughout the Back to Basics program, we have a Q&A with Rabbi Liel Shalom. So if you have a question or just want to get a little bit more clarity on any one of the episodes, send us your question to jewishfoundations at gmail.com. That is jewishfoundations at gmail.com. Starting next Q&A, not just one, but every person whose question is answered will get a free copy of the fascinating book On the Shoulders of Giants. So, send us your question today to jewishfoundations at gmail.com. And now, let's get back to the show. So, 410 years, and he uh, 11 years before Nebuchadnezzar uh, takes all the rabbis to Bavel. And then, remember this, 410, then we're in exile in Bavel for 70 years. Okay, remember that number. It's also, we're going to talk a lot about that, that period of 70 years. That period of 70 years was... Um, um, hundred and something years before, hundred and fifty, like uh, a little bit less, hundred and something years prior to the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, Yirmiyah Navi had a prophecy that that's what's going to happen—that we're going to be in Golis or we're going to be in 
exile for 70 years. So, okay, so remember that also, that this is a prophecy way before that we're going to be in exile for 70 years. So we were in 70 years, and we're going to see there were different calculations over there, different people, he's going to make a mistake over there. Okay, Belshazzar also made a mistake, the the, the grandson of, of Nebuchadnezzar, he also made a mistake with the count. He was counting the seven years from the time that Nebuchadnezzar became a king. Ahasuerus did a wrong calculation over there, a few years to here, a few years to there, three years to there, three years to there. And um, But at the end of the day, of course, Yermiah, the prophecy was fulfilled, and we were exactly seven years since uh, we left till we got to the permission and the decree to come back um, so we're going to learn about this later. And then after the second temple was built by, with, of course, the, 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 with the move of Ezra, right? Everyone knows that. Ezra, he was the one that brought back the, the, the second temple, the holiness, the Jews back to Eretz Israel. And the second temple stood for 420 years. Okay? So, Let's do a recap of all the numbers. Very simple. We had, if you remember this, you kind of remember the main part. It's like kind of you're going to have, you're going to be able to relate these stuff, you know, because right before I do the recap of the numbers, like for instance, where you can go and get very confused is when did Hanukkah comes in the year that we celebrate Hanukkah before Purim, right? But in the history timeline, Purim happened before Hanukkah. When did Hanukkah happen? In the middle of the second temple. Purim happened at the end of the 70 years. That's where we're going to get to. So like right before the second temple. Right. So, yeah, right before. Mamash, right before. So, <laughs> some people think that, oh, Hanukkah happened before Purim. No, 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 no. Purim happened before. It just happened in the time the time period of the year and that it's like that. So that that's why it's very important to know these simple numbers. So let's do a recap of all the numbers. We have 1948, Avram Avinu was born. A, a hundred years later, when Avram Avinu was almost 100 years old, he has the promise that his children, the Brisbane Abbasarim, right? Skip 400 years forward from that promise. 2448. 2448. The Jews are leaving Egypt and receiving the Torah. Har Sinai happened at 2448. Remember that. 40 years later, uh, 40 years of being in the desert, we arrive in Israel, okay? We have the wars and everything, right? Now, then we go into a period of time of 480 years, the time of the Mishkan, you know, with Yeshua and Shoftim, uh, you know, all the, uh, that period of time with Shmuel, Hanavi, Shimshon, all those, that period of time is in those 480 years, okay? Then we have the Mishkan. The end of the 480 years, the first temple is built by Shlomo Melech. That was year 3,328, okay? The first temple stood for 410, and then we went for seven years in exile, and then the second 420. temple, 420. It's very easy, because the first temple is 410, second temple, 420. Um, think about it. This is a side thought. We're, unfortunately, we're in exile for... Um, you know, 2,000 years, as we call it. Um, if you think about it, we had the God, uh, the Shekhinah, 
God's presence upon us, right? If you calculate 480 plus 40 years in the desert, that's 520, right? Do 520 plus four, four, eight, 830 that we had the temple, the first and the second. How much does it come out to? With with the 70 years? Without the 70 years. Seven years we were in exile, we're in right? Exile. So do 830 plus... So 830 from the two base of Megdash because 410 and... Right, and 520. And 520. 520 is the 40 years that we were in the Midbar plus right. 480... That of the Mishkan? the Mishkan, 1,350. So think about it. I want you to think about it for a second. We had, again, there were ups and downs all the time in history, ever. Also in Golas, we had ups and downs. But um, for 1,350 years, more or less, we had God's presence upon us. We had, we had the, the, the Mikdash, the Shrim, or the Mishkan. 1,350 years. That's a lot. Why am I saying this? Because there's a lot of people that like say, oh, once we had the temple, we don't know exactly how, for how long. It seems like, yeah, they had it for like 100 and 200 years. Like, yeah, the state of Israel is standing for like 70-something years. They had it for 200. No, 1,350 years, you know, that we had that closeness to Hashem with, with the Shekhinah among us, that we, would be, we were able to bring sacrifices and be close to Hashem and come and worship. Incredible, no? It's just like to put things yeah, in perspective. Wow. That's the whole. That's the whole point of this episode is to put things in perspective. Okay, so let's move on. Once we got these numbers down, so now you know if I'm putting you in some timeline. Now we have a perspective. Okay, I know this is before that. That's after that, more or less. So at the end of of the second temple, like we said before. There were different, um, as well known, the different nations. Um, we call them the four, uh, you know, world powers that fought against us, which is the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. Okay, that's I did it also chronically. There's one before the Babylonians that are, for not as popular, the Assyrians, Ashur. Okay, Ashur. So. The king of Ashur, you can call it like kind of Syria area, but it's different than what it, what it is today. So he almost became a world power. He was he didn't like really succeed, but he was a really mean person and he harmed us incredibly. Like unfortunately, it's not as popular in our like in our daily life that like we talk about Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar is the one that destroyed the Besamekdash. So he's more <laughs> quote unquote popular by us, but Ashur was not less harmful to us. He was very harmful. He actually did the what we call the, the galut um, of Ashur, that he spread us. He spread the ten shvatim, the ten tribes around the world and and make, made them lost. And I'll explain that. What happened? So there's a little bit of a very important part of history that we need to understand. That unfortunately, it's one of the biggest tragedies Mark my word, the biggest tragedies that ever happened to the Jewish nation. After King Shlomo, after Shlomo HaMelech, there was some problems over there with his children taking over the, the kingdom. And Rechavam, Rechavam um, basically took over 
And at that time, the, they split the kingdom, meaning the kingdom always belonged to the Shevet Yehuda, right? Judah and then King David was promised to have the royal, the royal, uh, the royalty of Kal Yisrael. Um, you know, just like there is Kohanim, like the Levim have, uh, they can be the Kohen, they can be the Levi, they can serve Hashem in the base. Yehuda was promised the, the, the Malchus kingdom. Basically what happened at the end, the kingdom of Yehuda and the kingdom of Israel, they split. Think about it, one nation with two different governments. Let's just so just so we understand it today in today's terms. There were two kingdoms. Well, I think now in Israel, you know, the past year, it's kind of easy to understand two uh, governments, uh, <laughs> Bibi and Benny Gantz. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. It, it was worse than that in a way because, you know, that's kind of a kid's play compared to the whole, like, really having the rest of the tribes besides Judah and, some, and you know, uh, but basically most of the of the tribes of Israel, they were belonged to the Malchus Israel. And Judah and and, uh, and a few other and Binyamin and uh, other you know small portions were part of Yehuda. So think about it. That was very unfortunate. That's our one of our biggest tragedies that led to not such good kings to be. Um, uh, at first, mostly on the Israel side, and then also unfortunately on the Judah side, there were uh, there were some not worthy people to be there as a as a cause of that split and that led to really bit really bad stuff why am i saying this uh so king ashur right he wanted for for example he wanted to pass and he was you know trying to you know control the world like back then there was a very common thing to try to take uh power over the whole entire world so um, he was fighting against different nations, and then he wanted to fight against Egypt. Paro Necho was at the time, and Paro Necho, he's famous for stealing the chair of King Shlomo HaMelech that had also a spiritual aspect to it, and he got zapped on his leg from from the lion, from uh, that structure of the chair. We're actually going to, hopefully, maybe we get to talk about the chair because it's connected to the Megillah Sester. So he was coming to fight Ashur, the king of Ashur, and the easiest way for him to, to, to get to Egypt demographically would be to go through Israel. He asked the permission to, from Malchai Yisrael, from the kingdom of Israel, to pass through. He didn't need to ask from the kingdom of Judah because it, that's not where he needed to pass. But anyway, to make a long story short, they didn't allow him, whatever for whatever reason, and didn't allow him, and then he came to fight against the kingdom of Israel, and that's when the very unfortunate thing that he spread us. He was, unfortunately, he did to us something almost more harmful than 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 killing us, because that was that was his tactic. He used to go to a nation and just spread them around and make them lose the kind of the nationality, and then they wouldn't rebel against him. That was his tactic. Okay, so that's what he did to us. He took us and spread us. He spread us to the far east, and um, you know today when you hear the stories of. The, the Jews, the Ethiopian Jews, and those things, um, it, late, they, there's probably the Messorah, probably I'm saying the Messorah, that they came from from that period of time when they were sent away 
to exile to really, really far, far places. And unfortunately, they lost a lot of the tradition. There was nothing to hold them. Right? It was not like in Bavel and everything that they had the rabbis that continued the tradition, the same tradition that we had in the Beis HaMikdash till today, like when we spoke about the smicha, right? So, um, unfortunately, that happened. Okay, why am I bringing this story? Because after King Usher, who took over Usher, who took over that evil uh, King Usher? Bavel. Nebuchadnezzar comes and he destroys the, the, the Assyrians, the Ashur, Ashurim. And then Nebuchadnezzar, which really became a world power, not like Ashur, he was really successful. He was a crazy guy. <laughs> Let's just say it in, in our language. He was mamash crazy. To explain how crazy he was, I have to bring this story. He was, you know, he was going everywhere, Africa, places in Europe, and uh, in the Middle East, Far East, um, and every place he would capture, he would obviously take all the, you know, a lot of treasures for himself, incredible wealth. He had, he gathered 1,080 treasures. Now, when I say treasures, it was not like boxes, uh, 1,080 boxes. It was 1,080 themes of treasures. Think about it. It was like a theme of pearls, a theme of ivory, a theme of gold and white gold or whatever, <laughs> you know. And he had 1,080 of them. Um, when he was getting old, older, he didn't live for too long, but when he was getting older, he decided he was such a cruel and evil person. He said, no one's going to enjoy my incredible wealth. And what he did is he went to some uh, very far place and he um, brought with him tons of slaves, tons of like, you know, his servants. And um, he made them hundreds and he made them build this huge crater. Okay. Not far from a, a certain stream of a river. Okay. And he built this huge crater and on the bottom, he took all of his treasures. He brought all of his treasures on a carrier on, uh, you know, on carriages and he, he buries all the 1080 treasures in that crater okay then he covers it and then he made them build a channel from that river drawing i think it was a prat don't catch me on that i don't remember exactly which river it was and they're dragging the ri the river all the way to the place and they made like a lake they covered it so no chance for any human to find that those treasures that's how evil that person was however the story plays a very significant part in the role of Megillah's sister. That's where we're trying to get to. Um, it's crazy to think how selfish someone could be. Oh, wait, you didn't hear the end. And not the, not even the end end. Let's just, let me tell you what happened first with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you know, if these guys would have WhatsApp, so the word would be out there and the whole thing he did was for nothing. Nebuchadnezzar was very thankful that there's no WhatsApp, right? What he did is, and when they finished the project, quote unquote, um, he gathered everyone for a huge party. He threw like the biggest party for all the slaves that were doing that. And he told them like, come on, you know, let's enjoy yourself. They were all drinking, having a good time. And Nebuchadnezzar was a, was a mighty guy. He was, he was really, really strong. And he, he, was, he was a very brilliant, you know, warrior. And he was a very strong and dangerous man. What he did is at that party, he literally killed, slaughtered every single person that was on the project. 
Whoever tried to run away, killed them. He killed every single one of them. Now. There should be no memory of where it is, how it is, zip, how it was done. Zero. It's wiped. Clean job. Is it possible for someone ever to. So it was found. It? That's the story. That's the end of the story. I'm going to keep you now. Oh, sorry. We're going to do this. I was planning on going to find I'm going to tell you. Oh, we know, we know who found it. And we actually you are going to see how. How what a what a big role it plays, and you're going to be surprised. You think I'm just saying nice stories, which, yeah, I'm also saying nice stories. These are, I mean, as much as nice as you can tell them, some of them are nice, some of them are less. But so we're going to see how what an incredible role this is going to play in the in the story of Megillah Sester. Kind of a similar thing. Uh, uh, two years ago, after Pesach, I went with uh, two of my friends to Cairo, Egypt. Mm-hmm. So we went to the Giza pyramids, and over there the tour guide was like explaining this happened and that happened. It's like it's like the craziest architectural pieces. Like it, it's impossible to build such a thing today. Mm-hmm. It's it's insane. Right. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that he says, like right on the side, there were a bunch of like tunnels and caves and stuff. He said basically, he said basically it was a thirty year project, thirty years uh, to build the Giza pyramids. So three big pyramids and then six smaller ones for like the wives, the king's wives. So he told us basically after when they finished building it, they took all the people who were involved in building it and they killed all of them. Why? Because they didn't want the kings who built it. They didn't want anybody to ever build such a masterpiece you know, it's just crazy to think the the way they built it is just, you know, unheard of. So and they didn't want anybody to ever repeat it. So because of that, anybody who was involved, they killed all of them and just buried them near it. Also, it's like. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Such cruelty. Some yep. Crazy. There are some really, really crazy people in the world. Until today. Don't think that today I had this uh, discussion in the last year I gave on this topic. And um, I don't want to make this into an argument, but I just, you know, maybe to think beyond, you know, a lot of we, uh, a lot of people look back in the days and say, oh, like everyone was like just barbarians, barbarians, barbarians. So in a sense for us today in modern days, it sounds pretty, you know, gaudy, right? It sounds, ugh, these people, so so bloody, right? Like this story, two stories we just brought up. Nehemiah is killing everyone and everything. Um, but let me ask you something. Today, you're basically doing a, the you have the same thing going on, just in a much cleaner way. What's the difference between? Okay, I'm not going into was justified or not to throw the atom bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? So whatever, let's say they had to do it and whatever. Not going into it. But as far as the barbarian aspect, again, I'm not going into justifying it or not. I'm saying, looking at if it's bar, if today people are less barbaric than then, because the way they kill, I mean, dropping an atom bomb and making uh, how many 150,000 people dead. If you go into the stories of how some of these people died, are like beyond. There's I don't remember the numbers, but like if you were. In the rate in a certain radius of the bomb, you're like wiped away instantly. Boom! Like the guy just disintegrate, vanishes. Yeah, it's just mamash. And then you're after beyond that, all the skin and every, I don't want to be too gaudy here on the 
on this basically episode. Basically, horrible, horrible deaths. And it's not like they dropped it specifically on, you know, the Japanese soldiers or anything. Right. Which even that is still again. You're, so you're I'm killing, not going into. It. I don't want to get into it. it. You know, I don't want to get into it if it was justified or not, if it was right or wrong. But even but if to it was, say even to if it say was that back in the days they were barbarians because they killed with a sword, and today we just press a button. I don't know. I find that a very, uh, um, you know, I find that disturbing. I mean, you had things like ISIS. ISIS, we know that nowadays are still killing, like, you know, chopping off heads and doing that same gaudy barbaric uh, things. This is a side topic. Right. Even now, like you see, like the Holocaust in the whole Second World War, not specifically the Jews. I think there were over 70 million people who died. And you know, you go back to the the Russian style, and what like over a hundred million people. Hundred between a hundred million between uh, 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 Russia and China and Mao. Russia, like uh, and China, communism killed a hundred. Right, sending people to to freeze to death in Siberia, being tortured in dungeons, uh, being shot in the head. Uh, you know, being shot in the head. Right, is, is that less barbaric than chopping off the head? Okay, maybe. So it's a little bit more disgusting chopping the head. But at the end result, you're killing someone in such a mean and painful way. I mean, shot in the head, you know, is less pain. Um, Just I find that, like, I'm saying this for whoever thinks that back in the days there were a lot more barbarians. And today, no, we just press buttons and we just, it's a shot from far with the gun that makes you less barbaric. I mean, obviously, if it's not justified. Um, I just I, as a as a side point, I think it's important to to put things in perspective because I had I heard a lot of people saying that oh back in the days there were a whole bunch of barbarians here look at these stories like I would say look at the stories today and you, yeah I didn't bring up what you said like bring the Holocaust bring the Holocaust tens of millions of people yeah and, and not only tens, just killing them hundreds of millions but of the people. Holocaust specifically Germans uh, enlightened people killing in the most barbaric I, I, that's much worse than Wuhanetzer, uh killing all his people. I think shooting, uh, you know, I don't want to get into this uh, in this rabbit hole, but shooting a baby uh, in a mother's hands, right? Or sending people into a gas chamber is much worse <laughs> as in barbaric terms. So whoever says that, I, I, I really, you really should take a look into it because it's a very, very shallow statement. Sorry, I'm so harsh on that. I just, I just feel it's not fair to say that. Anyways, so back to our story. So Nebuchadnezzar kills. So keep that in mind, okay? I want you to keep that in mind right now about all those treasures. We're going to get back to it, okay? Um, so keep those treasures in mind. I'm sorry to do this. We're going to have to continue on the next episode to see where these treasures, uh, who found them. So this is a, a, a disclaimer. I'm ruining the the, uh, the movie, right? Um, um, someone will found. find it. They were found. And it's going to play a role in Megillah Sester, uh, some interesting role. And we're going to tie next episode a few more links, and uh, and that's going to bring us to the story of Megillah Sester. Unfortunately, we cannot run through the whole entire story with all the details, but definitely we're going to give you like a nice, you know, amount of uh, background stories to Miguel and Sester to really appreciate when you're going to sit there and Purim 
right? And you're, you're going to read the story of the Megillah. You're going to say, ah, this happens because of that. This is after this. And then you're you'll be s- able to read between the lines. Yes, yes. The context will be much better. And you're going to appreciate, as I found it for myself, like when I read the Megillah now, I was like, Oh, that guy, when he did this, he's the son of this. And he did, and his father did so and so. Wow, how incredible it is what's happening. Yeah. You know, uh, hint, hint. But when we talk about the Hashvera showing all of his, <clears throat> you know, his um, his treasures and everything. Ah, I know where they come from and everything. Oh, spoiler alert, right? So um, that and more we're going to have next episode. In the meantime, we'll bless you with... Um, Really, really, we should um, understand and appreciate our history um, for the sake of, like a famous saying, a Jew, a, a, a nation that doesn't know its history won't even ha- won't be able to have a future. When you know the history, um, so you understand things for today that you can take for tomorrow. What I mean is ask any historian you can uh, and this is i'm saying a very you know ending up with a dropping a bomb you cannot uh, fully understand your current situation today's world uh uh situation without understanding history very well you just won't understand hey why there's why are there uh uh, these kind of Jews, so many different types of Jews, Yemenite Jews. Uh, if you don't know basic, again, this is a very simple example. If you don't know history of exile, where we came from, how we ended up in all these countries and everything. So you're just going to walk around and like take it as a given or learn history and understand why it is. Why is there Ashkenazi Jews, Sephardi Jews? Why is there, why are we here? Why are the Arabs fighting with us? Why are they hating us? Why are there, why are terrorists I think you learn history and you understand where it's coming from, right? Not that it justifies it in any way, but you understand. So you understand today's situation with understanding history. So that's what we're going to briefly do. We'll see you next episode. Yep. So thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week. So that is it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you were able to learn something new. I definitely did. If you enjoyed today's episode, let a friend know, subscribe, and leave a comment. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day. We will be back next week.